Hey, it's Ian Altman. Thanks for joining me today. And I especially want to thank you for taking the time to share your reviews on iTunes and likes and shares and the emails you send in. It's really just a great feeling to see how the community is growing and how people are responding to our program here. Today's guest is Mary Lou Tyler, who's a sales process improvement expert, actually has a background as an engineer. She's an author and speaker, and she's helped big companies like Apple, Bose, and UPS grow their business by increasing their sales pipelines. And she really specializes in helping B2B sales professionals move those conversations from cold to qualified opportunities. She's the number one best-selling author of Predictable Revenue, and her latest book is called Predictable Prospecting. We're going to specifically talk about the biggest mistakes that people make on those initial outbound calls and opportunities with prospects. We're going to talk about how you properly fill the top of the funnel and how we best manage our time when it comes to phone calls and ultimately how to build habits and behaviors that drive better performance. You're going to learn a ton from Mary Lou Tyler. Mary Lou, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Ian, for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. I've already given your background for our listeners, but tell us something that maybe is surprising or something that people may not know about you. Well, I think the the most surprising thing that people are, I guess, I don't know if it's surprising because once they start learning the way that I do my work product, I am first and foremost an engineer. I am a computer programmer. I used to work at think tanks. I did flight simulation software. I worked down in the bits and bytes of uh, programming and I am now in sales. So the, that transition in and, in and of itself was a little bit of a life-changing event in that when I was 29, I went in as a systems engineer to work and I came out as a sales rep because they fired all the sales reps. Uh, We were selling (laughs) disruptive uh, software solutions at the time and hardware and the reps that were there while they're consummate, you know, Rolex wearing, really nice suits, nice driving cars, salespeople, they just were not aligned correctly with what we were going through with the, the disruptive technology. Yeah, go figure, right? Yeah, so here we were, sink or swim. You are now a you know the magic wand over your head. You are now a salesperson. Yeah, well, and and it's interesting because one of the things that I write about in my trends article for this year is the notion that subject matter experts become the new rainmakers, and it's this notion that our clients really want to interact with the subject matter expert, not your stereotypical salesperson, right. and um, and so. To me, it's not really surprising that you have that engineering background. I'm sure there's a, there are a number of listeners thinking, wow, so maybe there's hope for me. Or there's people <laughs> thinking, wait, so maybe I should have been an engineer first. <laughs> yeah, now, you know, I think of myself as an ambivert. And everyone's like, what the heck is that, Mary Lou? Yeah. And it's it's not quite the introvert, but not definitely not an extrovert. Uh, but when I first was faced with this with the idea of notion of sales, it just seemed like chaotic to me. There was no rhythm to it. This is what I thought. There was no rhythm. There couldn't possibly be a process embedded in that. And my whole life was about process and methods and systems. And, you know, and so the thought of going into this, like, gushy, mushy thing called sales was really scary for me. And and obviously, with your expertise in taking this amorphous 
thing, at least in most people's minds, of sales and making it more predictable. You've written predictable revenue and predictable prospecting. Uh, First, let's talk about kind of the big mistakes or traps that people fall into when they have initial interaction. So that, that first meeting, that first introduction, what are the mistakes or traps that people fall into? The main mistake that I have seen is that people are reluctant to plan. And to the to the extent that I require my folks to do pre-call planning. So actually before you get on the phone to plan out that call. And everybody's like, well, if I make, you know, 60 dials a day, how am I going to plan out every call? And what I'm, my notion is that the more you plan, the more prepared you are, the better you are able to handle the situations because you've role played in your head, the possible scenarios of where that conversation can take you. And so that is something that most of my folks just don't even know about, know how to, or don't even bother to plan before they make that first call. Yeah, it's it's funny. When, when I talk to organizations and a lot of my keynotes, I introduce a game that I developed called Same Side Improv. And it's mm-hmm. basically improvisation or role play with a deck of playing cards and people pick different roles and different secrets. And then you play out that character with all that baggage, if you will. Yeah. And role play the scenarios. And so when I'm speaking to, let's say, a group of senior executives, I'll ask them, I'll say, so so if there was a process and your team was going to get really good at it, what would it take for them to get really good at it? And they say, oh, well, you know, training and practice. Okay, well, how many of you in your teams role play or practice at least an hour a week? And mm-hmm. like no one will raise their hands. And I say, okay. So if you don't do that, what happens? They go, well, then people don't develop good habits and this and that. Okay, so how long has that been going on? Years. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know it, but you're still not doing anything about it. And and my favorite is that I'll ultimately say, well, why don't people do it? And they say, well, it's uncomfortable or it's embarrassing. Oh, okay, so so when you screw up, you want it to be with a real client, not with like your coworker. <laughs> I get it. And exactly. then as, as soon as you say that, they're like, oh. oh. Damn. Yeah, I guess that makes sense now. And then and then still half of them will never do it. So so this idea of being reluctant to plan or kind of play out the different scenarios, because otherwise, if you don't plan, the client goes in a certain direction and then you're playing like stump the guesser and see if you can figure it out. Right. And because my specialty is top of funnel. So by definition, we have a lot more records And I'm a database programmer, so I I speak of things in records as opposed to people. But we have a lot more records to work with. So by definition, we've got to be better at kind of guesstimating what these conversations are going to be and how they're going to flow because we have so many more to go through. And we can't bungle an important telephone call because it takes so much effort to even get to that first call. And I think people don't realize the work that we have to do to even get to the point where we have the first conversation. So those are coveted conversations. And as such, we should plan for them accordingly. And, and so, so the planning obviously become, becomes key. What are the other mistakes that people make when they have that, that first introduction to someone they don't know? How do people typically do that today? And maybe what should they be doing instead? 
Well, if we're truly, now again, I am working top of funnel and I work targeted accounts. So by definition, there's an assumption here that we're targeting those accounts and those people within the accounts with whom we're going to have a high close rate and a high revenue potential. So we have the whales. We're working the whales. We're not doing the minnows. Um, But what I like people to do is practice on the minnows. And that's another mistake that we go right for the whale and we don't necessarily kind of warm up our our experience by talking to the minnows first and getting comfortable in that rhythm of having those conversations so that we're prepared and ready to talk to the whales. So what I would recommend and what people don't do is to warm up that call block. And that's another that's another teaching point is call blocking or time blocking, they call it. Yep. But to put front end those conversations, like at the when you have if you have a two hour block time that you're doing your prospecting, front end with the outer ring of accounts that you can afford to you know, screw up on, so to speak, or bungle. (laughs) And then as you work your way in, you're becoming fine-tuned, you're more finessed. I mean, I ran a 256 call center and that's how we trained our agents to kind of work the outer ring and work inward because the longer you're on the phone, the better you get, the more confident you are. And if you actually do what you said, which is role play at the front end of that to warm up your voice, warm up the chill, warm up the, you know, just the butterflies in the stomach, Get all that out in the first 15 minutes of that call block, you're going to be a lot more successful. And I have to like strong arm clients to do that. Yep. So, so let's say someone does actually reach out. So now they, they've, they've blocked out their time. They've gone through, they're rehearsing in advance. They're, mm-hmm. they're planned out so they know who they're calling in what order. They're calling the minnows first. Things are starting to feel pretty good. What are some of the things that, that people should think about when they're starting a conversation with people they don't know? The first thing is, as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, is you're not going to be able to have a predefined script. You're not going to be able to go down a path that you want to go down if your responses from the client or the prospect lead you through a different path. So it's really all about listening It's not about trying to get to that next question because prospects can hear you when you're rushing. They can hear you when you're not sincerely listening. So really you have to kind of work off their language, work off what they're saying, but be smart enough and be prepared enough to go down these little rabbit holes in these multiple places that they're going to try to get you down, but also be able to take them back to the mainstream pipeline that you're trying to get them to. So it's really all about listening and directing them once you hear what it is that they're trying to say and what they're trying to get you to tell them and answer the question first and then move them and gently guide them down and pull them gently through where you want them to be to that next logical place in your sales pipeline. Well, and and I love that notion of just thinking through and active listening. It's one of the things that I tell people all the time. I, I get clients who say, well, can you give us a script? And I'll ask them, I'll say, well, have you ever been on the receiving end of a phone call where somebody else is reading a script? They go, oh, of course. How do you know? It's you over the phone. How do, you, how do you know? Well, because yeah. I can tell because <laughs> they're just reading. And I say, you can tell because the person isn't speaking their words. They're speaking right. the words on the script. And mm-hmm. you could say to them, you know, they could say, oh, hi, how are you today? And you say, well, actually, I just lit my hair on fire and I'm trying to find a fire extinguisher. And they'll say, is now a good time? 
<laughs> like, <they> just <laughs> because that's what it says to say next on the script. And they're not actively listing. They're just just going to the next question, no matter what it is. And the, the poor telemarketers who call me, I will often say, wow, that's a great question. What does it say to ask next? Mm-hmm. And they'll mm-hmm. often just read the next question because they didn't even hear what I said, which makes it even funnier. Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that I know that, that you write and speak about is this notion of different levels of buyer awareness. Because mm-hmm. if we're going to be active listening, if we're going to think through and plan through the call, then we have to consider, look, there are different levels the buyer might be in or different states yeah. they might be in of awareness. And we have to respond differently in each one of those. Can you walk people through those? Sure. And let me again state that uh, from the standpoint of outreach, where we're targeting those accounts that we're going after, those whales, we're going to be faced with at least five levels of awareness. So at the lower end is people who are unaware, unaware that they have a problem, unaware that of us, just oblivious. <clears throat> and we actually say the word oblivious because they're in this sort of la-la land <laughs> that, that they don't have any idea that they have a problem. We deal with that a lot with outreach. When you think about inbound, they're coming in, they already know you, chances are they filled out a form. So they're at that interested level, which is level four, or they're evaluating, which is level five. But we have unaware level one, We have problem aware, which is that they know they have a problem, but they're not quite sure if it really affects them or if they need to do anything about it. And then the next level up from that is they they know they have a problem. They kind of know there's a solution out there, but they're not sure who. So you can imagine we have to talk to them differently and ask them questions so that we get a gut feel as to where they are in each of those five levels and then start our conversations with that in mind. Because if we start blabbering about how wonderful we are with all these case studies and yada, 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 if they're in this unaware or problem aware stage, that's going to mean nothing to them. They're going to really think of you as a sleazy salesperson who's trying to sell me something. So we really like to look at those levels of awareness and in our role playing practice someone who is in each of those states because you're going to use different language. You're going to talk to them differently. Some The lower levels are more emotional in nature. The higher levels switch more to logic to justify that they're making the right decision to have a conversation with you. So in the, in the five, just to make sure everyone's got them, let's just go through them again. So first is that unaware of the problem or kind of oblivious. Mm-hmm. The second one, they're aware of the problem um, and they may not be hyper aware of it, but they're, they're aware and acknowledging that they may have a problem that is worth potentially solving. Yeah. The it's third, on the radar, but it's not quite, they're not willing to do anything about it. Okay. And then the, and the third level is they're problem aware and they're confident there's a solution out there. They're just not sure which one. Correct. And then when we get to four and five. I'll let you go through those. Four and five are the typical inbound, what I call inbound awareness levels, which is they interested, they did a Google search. Four and five is when they start the Google search or the search engine, which is why I always laugh when people say, you know, 60% of the buyers are already in the cycle. Well, they have to be at least aware at an interest level to find you and also to enter some information into the website or on a form or see you at a trade show or attend one of your executive briefings in order to be able to have that conversation. And then the last level, which is the coveted where we'd like to have people so that it's easier for us to use our selling genius is the evaluating level. 
Yeah, and and I actually often think that, and this is funny because I'm interested to get your perspective on this. For a lot of people, if you asked them, well, who would you, who would you most want to speak with? They'd say, well, I want the person who's who's in evaluating mode, who's trying to determine which solution they're going to buy. Mm-hmm. And ironically, I would argue that the people who are at level two or level three mm-hmm. could be your best prospects because oftentimes people at level five believe anybody who claims to solve that problem is a commodity. Whereas early on, if someone says, well, we have this problem, but we haven't really thought about how big of a deal it is or how we would solve it, those are people who might be more open and receptive to different ideas that might then shape their opinion going forward. What do you think? You know, it really depends on how you, as a person, company, product, service, are positioned in the market. Because if you're – like take me, for example – I don't I just don't have the patience anymore to try to convince people that this is something that they need. So I like levels 3, 4 or 5 because I know I could convince them based on my track record. I've been doing this for a long time. There's a lot of there's a lot of markers that have the proof and specificity around the why choose me that I would prefer those levels. But the first, second and third are the gold. And if, you, if you're really working on your sales conversation first and you're getting good at pre-sales conversations and sales conversations and you're studying behavior and you're studying the psychology and sociology around getting people and persuading people to make a change, those levels are definitely gold for you. But they're very difficult and not everyone has the, the stomach for that. I was like a good challenge. And the other thing is to tell you that sometimes those levels can lengthen the sales cycle. So it depends if you, if you're, you know, if you're a good manager, you're working at your revenue and you're trying to break it out into buckets, you want a good mix of all those levels because some are going to take longer to sell, especially in the larger enterprise than the other ones. So, you, you know, you just, you really don't want all your eggs in the one basket. Even in this, even with levels of awareness, you want a nice blend. Sure. And, and I think it, it, makes, it makes a ton of sense to, to have that blend and have that variety because you're going to mm-hmm. end up with clients at different levels of awareness because yes. even though you might say or I might say, look, I'd rather have people at level two or three, it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that's the state they're going to be in when you have a conversation. Correct. And we want to leverage technology as much as possible to help us reduce that lag. So typically the lower levels lend themselves more to automation where the higher levels are more personalization. Sure. So it requires more human resource the higher you go in order to be able to build that rapport that is a must. Even this in this day and age, relationships are very important. So we could only put a few key accounts into those upper levels because we're going to be spending a lot of time personally working them sure what what are some of the what are some of the cues or um or indicators that a rep can use to know which level the client's in now there's some obvious stuff that i would see but for our Mm -hmm. listeners perspective to to get a sense of look how do you know where they're at what kind of questions might you ask to uncover that well, there's questions. There's also content assets, uh, which are the actual pieces of content that they're going to consume that help you figure out where people are. Because if we're lower level of like unaware, our attention spans are very short. 
So we're going to consume maybe a should ask questions document. We may look at a frequently asked questions. We'll look at one page things. We may look at infographics. So you can sort of seed those levels with content that is really brief, less than 20 seconds, less than a minute, less than five minutes for them to absorb and then put a little kind of like a, what do they call those breadcrumbs in the bottom that says, hey, here's the case study for this client. It's a one page. If you want to know more and want to get really in depth, go here. And if they start going down those trails that you've sent the breadcrumbs through, you'll be able to tell where they are in their state of awareness because the more information they're going to consume, the more interested, the more it's meaningful to them, typically. You can make the assumption that the more they're going to dive into a subject, the more interested they are and aware they are. That's that's great. That's great. And, and, and I think that that ties nicely. A, a lot of what I talk about is how important content marketing is today and to have mm-hmm. those content assets that you can then share with prospects who then, using advanced analytics, we can track and say, you know what? So these people really took a deep dive on these five documents and they shared them with 37 people. Right. These people are actually are evaluating right now. They're, they're in, they're in serious evaluation mode. The people who initially are dipping their toe in the water, they're not going to invest that much time. And if they do, then they're just weird. It is time, definitely. And what's fun about this whole thing, you were talking about you love puzzles. What's really fun about this is you can take a five-page or longer case study and then flip it sideways and then make five different versions of it into different levels of awareness. That's so right. it's really fun to take the content and blow it out because a lot of my clients are like, I only have two pieces of content I can use. Well, that's okay because we take one piece and we flip it and make it five different things out of it. And that, uh, that also tells us where people are, relative position in their head, in their purchase intent, which is really what we want from the content. Very cool. Now, I know that you are also the Jedi master of phone habits and helping (laughs) people become more effective in their work on the phone. So can you give us some habits that will help people be more successful? Because I know that's something that in predictable prospecting you spend some time on. Yeah, I well, and my background came from the telephony environment. So as I said before, I was a director and owned a call center back in the day, and we set appointments at risk. So I had 250 agents just on the phone making phone calls and setting appointments. The biggest thing that I can tell you is block timing is so important because we get better on the phone the more we're on it. If we were to just make a phone call, then go check email. or check social or get up and walk around. It's not as good as if we sat there and did call after call after call. So that's one thing is make sure that you block out time during the day. And that time, what that block time is, is based on your buyer, on your prospect. If you're selling to CEOs, don't call at nine o'clock in the morning. You're going to have to schedule your day like I used to do, get out in the parking lot at 6 a.m. waiting for the guy to show up so I can you know, meet them at the door, so to speak. You want to be able to organize your block time around your prospects, your main prospects who are going to get you in the door. That's number one. The second thing is pre-call planning. So important. I have forms that are on my website that you guys can download to do the pre-call planning. It should take no longer than five minutes at max per phone call. So if you do 20, if you set up 20 calls in your key accounts for a Tuesday, then Monday night, it should only take you 20 minutes. Minutes, 25 minutes to set up the call 
complete pre-planning forms for the next business and, day. And, and I and I got to believe that for people who are doing this in large volumes, they could probably even categorize yep. and they, they probably have four or five different templates yes. for that call planning and say, look, so as I'm planning out my day and who I'm going to call the next day, I say, okay, these 12 all fit into template one. These 12 fit into template two. These mm-hmm. four into template three. And that way you're not necessarily killing yourself on every single call. Correct. As much as you're learning from past behaviors. And it's really about what if the call goes sideways? It's really the call planning says, look, this is my ideal goal for this call. But what's my B? What's my option B? That's really what I want you to think about. It's not necessarily the conversation itself, although you want to bring in the pain points you think would resonate so that you can make sure that you're starting that conversation relevant for the prospect. But you also want to be able to, you know, what's the fork in the road? If everything goes sideways, what can I do next? And that's where people get stuck, like deer in the headlights type stuff. So that's another area. The other thing I'm really, really focused on is how you use your language. And I think that comes with role-playing, practicing. A lot of you have cell phones. I would prefer that you have the conversation into your cell phone, record yourself. If you're talking to Jane, who's your prospect, record yourself having a one-on-one conversation with her, talking about the main pain point or the challenge that you think would allow her to lean in. And then listen to how you sound because that is – that speaks volumes and Marilyn, to whether you're when, ready. When, when you say use language, we're not talking about profanity just for anybody listening in. So I just want to make sure that everyone understands. Um, but just the, this whole idea, I think it's brilliant for people to record themselves and hear what it sounds like as a, as a professional speaker. It's always enlightening to me where I think to myself, man, I thought I had pretty good variance on my mm-hmm. volume, but man, I was like, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, I was 14 for like 15 straight minutes at the beginning. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought I wasn't. And over time you kind of learn to pick up on that, but you only get it when you record it and listen to it. Yes. And the other thing to add on to that is if you're standing up, your voice is going to sound more commanding. If you're smiling while you're talking, you're going to sound like you are completely engaged with your with your client. So those are the little tricks that really help you do better on the phone because if you are leaning against your hand, like a lot of people like to hold their head while they're talking, <laughs> that comes across. People can hear that. People, We're pretty intuitive as humans. And we can tell when you're totally not interested in us. You know what? There's there's no doubt. And, and it's something where people will say to me, oh, well, you know, there's no way. People can't tell. And I'll have people face away from each other in a room, bring them up on stage, have them face away from each other. And literally whisper to somebody, okay, I want you to do the whole thing while smiling. And then mm-hmm. somebody else, look, don't, under any circumstances, don't smile. And then we'll do that with three or four people. And then you ask the other person, so who was smiling? And they'll nail it every single time. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how'd you great. know? Well, Love you can it. just tell. Okay. Yeah. And when I say language or your language, what I'm saying is you, there are certain words that we use like just, just eliminate that from your vocabulary when you're talking to a prospect, because that, that makes someone feel smaller. 
that you're just doing something for them. Or if you say, honestly, it's this way, that implies that you're not honest. So there are certain words that you want to eliminate from your vocabulary and language when you're on the phone with prospects. You can go negative as you get further into the pipeline. But when you're first starting conversations, it's, it is more of a positive slant because people uh, like to have conversations that are more positive in nature to start, unless you're in an industry where the pain is so great that you can go negative on them to get them to move. So that's your call to figure out by persona What's going to move them to that next mile marker in the pipeline? Is it a positive conversation or is it a negative conversation? Only you can decide that. Awesome. So let me ask you, if there was, if there was one thing, and I know it's difficult to do this because if there was just one thing, you wouldn't have written multiple books. You would have just <laughs> written one sentence. That would have been it. But if there was one thing that people can do, aside from reading the books, to help them have a more predictable prospecting experience, what would you tell them to do? It's behavior. It's going from this sheer will that we all start out with sales to this discipline stage where a lot of my colleagues stop there. But what I want you to do is move from that discipline stage to habit. When you move to habit and you do this every day, you are going to be successful. Fantastic. Mary Lou, what's the best way? Because I know people right now are thinking, okay, well, how do I learn more about Mary Lou? So what's the best way for people to find you online and learn more about what you're doing? Well, that seven habits that we were talking about, the phone stuff, is there's a LinkedIn blog post. So just search for Mary Lou Tyler. And I go through all the seven habits and there's a a worksheet and a lot of downloads that go with it. So if you're just wanting to learn how to get better on the phone, that's a great place to start. Then on my website, maryloutyler.com slash swag, S-W-A-G, I pretty much put everything that I've done for clients or if I'm doing speaking engagements, any type of work product, there's an inaugural class I taught that's out there. So for your DIYers who want to get into this, everything is there that you need. All the resources that I could think of are out there. That's awesome. We'll have all this stuff in the show notes and this way, and and my audience knows that I will recap everything for them so they get a little snapshot of all the key takeaways. And Mary Lou, thanks so much for sharing these fabulous ideas. I think there's a lot of actionable stuff here that people can use. Thank you for having me, and I'm happy to help wherever I can. There's a lot of great stuff that Mary Lou shared. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key principles I think you can take away and apply to your business right away. First, this whole notion of time blocking and thinking about how to better manage your time and rehearsing in advance of these calls so that you're not just winging on the fly. The second is that idea, this idea of active listening and thinking about which level your client is at. Are they unaware of the problem? Are they problem aware and think there's a solution? Are they interested or are they actually evaluating? And then finally, we want to make sure that we're making sure that that behavior becomes a process or discipline that ultimately becomes a habit. And if we do that, we'll get better results. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on, if there's a topic you'd like me to cover, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.